You're listening to the Team Stripes Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 73 of the Team Stripes Podcast, proudly presented by Acme Whistles, helping you make the big calls since 1870. The legendary Acme Thunderer is now available in matte black, and boy, oh boy, do they look pretty. Ross, how are you today? Dude, I'm freaking awesome. I'm fired up today. We got a heck of a show for everybody. We got an awesome guest. I got to do my favorite thing as an American citizen today. I got to vote for who's going to be president for the next four years. We don't talk politics here, but uh, for those of you American guys, go vote. Don't care who you vote for. Go do it. Um, You know, getting to participate in our democracy is a big thing. So we got that. Had a pretty good discussion yesterday over a question I got wrong on the USA hockey rule test, which I knew the answer to, but for some reason I still got it wrong because I forgot because it was on the um, open book and the closed book. I got it right on the closed book, wrong on the open book. And uh, going to be submitting some rule changes. You know how that is with the USA hockey. It is rule change time. Yep. So if any of you guys uh, don't like a rule, Let's uh, flood Matt Leaf's mailbox in uh, Colorado Springs with them rule changes, which maybe we can talk about some potential ones that we, we might think should should go. Um, yeah, I'm just fired up and ready to go, man. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the, uh, you know, voting and everything, this is actually my first time finally being able to vote. And so I'm I'm actually pretty excited about it, like, yeah, we're we're not a we're not a political uh, podcast by any stretch of the imagination, nor would I want to be one. But if you Never are an American, I mean, go out and vote. I I'm excited. But anyway, we got hockey. Uh, not a whole lot. I well, guess coming out of the NHL. I just want to jump in real quick and just say congrats on your first time getting a vote. Oh, dude, I am awesome. so excited. I mean, it, it'll, it'll be fun. I look forward to it. But with hockey, uh, I think the biggest news that we have to jump onto is one that came out today, as in Monday, because we record on Mondays, is Mr. Mike Doc Emmerich retiring after I yes. 50 years in the broadcast booth. Uh, 40 or 50 years. He called, I think the stat was 3,750 plus. Yep. NHL games, whether it be or hockey games, I should say. Professional and Olympic. Yeah. So that's TV, radio, uh, Morse code, smoke signals. <laughs> yeah. Doc has done it all, I think. Ah, oh, man. Like, it's just hard to put into words. Like, I watched the video this morning, the video package that NBC Sports put together as, you know, his final farewell. Like, I'm sitting here getting goosebumps thinking about it. Um, Doc, thank you for the memories of calling every, you know, all these big hockey games. Like when you think of hockey commentators, for me, there's a few that come to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say Doc, number one, a guy like Bill uh, Bill Clement and Gary Thorne, you know, back in the day with ESPN, obviously Eddie Olchek and those guys. But there was just something about how Doc called a hockey game compared to anybody else his vocabulary, his mannerisms that were unique to just him. Uh, it, it's going to be weird turning on a game on NBC next season 
and and not hearing his legendary voice called play by play. Yeah, I I I do agree that it's going to be weird. Um, obviously, I'm doing broadcast journalism as my major. Like something I want to do is what Doc did, a play by play guy for an NHL team, for any you know whatever. And he's one of the probably top three guys that I would say I look up to. Um, and if I could just be half as good as he would be, I think that would be awesome. I mean, I, I, I have him up there with Don Cherry, Ron McClain, Bob Hope, like some of the best of the best of the best, um, mm-hmm. all the best to him. I don't know how he figured out what to say, when to say it, and how to say it, but, man, oh, man, he was one of the best at it and all the best in retirement. Just a, you know, just a brilliant man. Um, and just the vocabulary, the, like, the, mo- the just the way he called the game was very unique. I saw, actually, what was really cool today, um, Blake Coleman plays for the Lightning, Mm-hmm. Um, he sent out a tweet, you know, saying he grew up listening to Doc Emmert call hockey games, and he's just honored that he was the one that got the final goal call by Doc Emmerich. That actually would be really cool. I didn't even think about that. That is, yeah, it was it was a pretty cool tweet. It was just one of those like, you know, surreal moments for for a young hockey player and Coleman getting to say that, you know. I scored the last goal that Mike Emmerich ever called. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a pretty cool tweet. And then obviously the rest of the hockey world's been, you know, sending their best wishes and in retirement and all that. So Doc Emmerich, if you do listen to this podcast, thank Please you so much on. for everything you've done for, uh, for hockey. And if we could somehow get you on here, <laughs> I, I, I think I would not be able to speak. I would just be in awe and starstruck of, you know, one of the greatest announcers to ever, you know, call any sport, not just hockey. I do agree. He definitely had a way with words and it was always fun to to listen and, and it'll be interesting to see what NBC does. I mean, his shoes will not be filled, but somebody does have to replace them. No, never. Nope. You're you're right. Some you know someone will will step up, but you know they they got the they got a lot of guys that do games, so it'll be you know next man up mentality. But mm-hmm. he'll definitely be missed. On to some, I would say more cheerful hockey news. The WHL has announced their starting date for January eighth of twenty twenty one. Uh, for those okay. of you not familiar with the WHL, it's the Western Hockey League in Canada. It's one of the major junior leagues. Um, there was a lot of any any uh, announcement on the Q or the O with their start dates yet. I have not heard anything from them. Um, okay. Last I heard from the OHL was the government wanted them to take body checking and everything out of the game for COVID uh, reasons. Yeah. So I, I'm looking at the WHL and saying they're a bright spot because there was no government intervention, no bailout package, no rule changes, nothing like that. It's just going to yeah. be, hey, we're starting January 8th. And I think that's awesome. Um, down here in the U.S., at least, junior hockey's in all but full swing for us. Uh, the North yep. American League, NA3 League, started early October. The USHL, I believe, is sometime in the next week or two, something like that. So, I mean, 
Yeah, not sure. We haven't missed a beat down here. Obviously, up in Canada, they're, I would say, a lot more serious with the COVID thing, which that's all fine. Um, but the WHL will get to play come January 8th, and I, th- I think that's Perfect. just awesome. Well, and then we had another league, the ECHL, which affects um, – th- this announcement affects a lot of uh, – uh, probably a lot of our listeners that are our, our local linesmen and, you know, some of the other guys that like I know and work with. So the ECHL is doing a funky, uh, it's going to be a split schedule. So 13 teams are playing 72 games and that starts on December 11th. Those 13 teams are going to play their first 10 games um, between December 11th and January 14th. And then the rest of the league comes in minus Atlanta. They're sitting the year out. Um, and the rest of the league will play a 62 game season. So uh, let's see the teams participating. Um, shoot. So it's the Florida teams and a couple of the other, basically teams in the States that don't have as many COVID restrictions are the ones getting rolling. And then the way they're going to determine playoffs is not going to be by points. It's going to be by winning percentage. Because obviously there are going to be a few teams that play 10 more games than the other teams. So those 10 games, why don't they just call them exhibition games? Uh, Because they want to get their seven. They want to get in a 72 game schedule and. But only, uh, you know, they got the ECHL is driven by revenue, and that revenue is butts in the seats. Yep, ticket sales. So the teams that are able to have butts in the seats, uh, they're going to do it. Um, and then there's some other stuff that came out, um, like procedure stuff and this and that, that, that I've seen. Can't really go into detail on that kind of stuff. But um, as far as ECHL goes – it's uh, a 72-game season for 13 teams, and then the rest of the teams will be playing a 62-game season. So it's almost business as usual, hopefully. Yeah, pretty much. The only the I think the weirdest or worst part about the season is going to be we don't finish the regular season in the ECHL until June 6th. Oh, wow. So that's super late. Because that's yeah, – I mean – because. Because they That's obviously only play playoffs. weekends. Yeah. For the most part. Unless it's like Orlando, Jacksonville, and Fort Myers playing against each other, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday kind of thing. But for the most part, the travel's done Thursdays and Sundays or Thursdays and Mondays, and they play on the weekend. So it'll be an interesting year for the ECHL. I've seen some stuff floating around what the NHL might be doing, realigning the divisions. The six Canadian teams only playing each other. Oh, seven. Play. Oh, seven. I'm sorry. Come I always think six. Don't forget about Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah. Well, so the seven Canadian teams only playing each other. Um, some kind of modified bubble. Who knows? Obviously, they're they're shooting for January first start date. And with that January first start date, there is potential. There is a rumor that the NHL is going to play their opening game on Lake Louise in Banff. And how and if sick that happens, that If that happens, if that gets announced and they are allowing fans, I am going to do everything in my power to make it to that. There is no way I'm going to miss that if I can get to it. That will be one of the most beautiful NHL games ever. 
just scenery wise. I mean, Lake Louise is gorgeous and that would just be awesome if, if it was there. Yeah, if none of you guys know what Lake Louise is, it's that Google lake. It. Uh, you've probably seen a picture of it without even realizing it. It's like, it's a lake with mountains in the background. When it's frozen, you can see all the way to the, you know, to the bottom of the lake. Like the water is that clean and it's just, it's absolutely beautiful. So please NHL, if you are listening, make that happen. Like, oh my goodness. I just, uh, it'd be amazing to see. It almost, it'd be even more awesome to do a yearly thing where you put all the teams up there for a week and everyone gets to play a game or two. Yeah. Like it'd be so cool. Yeah. I mean, that would be really cool. Speaking of the NHL realignment, um, that came out after uh, Vegas owner, Bill Foley. He uh, was asked about, you know, playing Nate Schmidt as he got traded over to the Vancouver Canucks uh, last Monday and he was asked like hey like how do you feel about playing you know against Schmidt and he said oh we won't see him this year as all the Canadian teams are just going to play each other honestly if if that happens I wouldn't be overly surprised just because the Canadian border is still closed um, I, I, I think it would be pretty cool I mean travel would kind of suck especially if it's you know Vancouver and Montreal like that's cross country um, mm-hmm. I don't think that affects a whole lot though. And I, I mean, I'm down for a Canadian division. I mean, especially look, whatever gets us playing games, I don't care. Come January 1st, as long as we're playing hockey, I'm happy. Um, the only thing that I think the NHL, NHL should do is shorten up the season. I think it should be. Uh, whatever, forty-eight game schedule. Yeah, or... I, I, I think it should only be six. I think, I think it should be sixty. See, even for me, I think that's I too think... long. Because I, I think well, what they should try and think... do is get it back to an October start date with a regular summer. So I think what you do is have a quote-unquote mm-hmm. lockout year scheduler where they came in. I think it was twenty twelve lockout where they played half a year still. Um, I mm-hmm. think you come in there, play your 48 games, have the playoffs, end in whatever, June, July, and then have your regular summer come October well, again, we're starting. I was, I was reading that it might if, – if they do 60, they'll probably work it a lot like a minor league schedule where you play three games in three nights mm-hmm. against then, the same team. Yeah. I mean – I. I, I wouldn't mind that. Um, I think the bubble shows like that with if, the, there's no with travel, the Canadian, you're fine. Yeah. It'll just be – it'll be interesting. Um, obviously, they'll work it. They'll, it'll, it'll all work out, but it's just one of those, like, um, interesting scenarios that, you know, we just kind of got to wait and see. So – could you imagine though, like the seven Canadian teams playing each other all year for a sixty-eight game schedule? Like that would that would honestly start to suck if you're if you're one of no, the players. 60. 60? You would just play, I mean, you would play each team. You know, you'd play each time each team seven eight times. But I think each division is just going to play within itself. 
Yeah, I mean that makes that would make the most sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that would make the most sense. Every team plays in the division. It's what seven or eight games. Uh, that's great for the Battle of Alberta because. Yep. If we saw anything from those games last year, I mean, there's no love lost between those two teams. The only issue mm-hmm. I've seen is is travel, but I mean. Look, these guys private jets. They charter their jets. It would just kind yeah, of start to suck, especially if you're issue. doing three and three, and then playing the next week. Yeah. But yep. uh, speaking of Vegas, though, I think we would, if if we didn't mention this, I think we would be missing out. You well, obviously mentioned, Petrangelo signed yep. Vegas, and now there's rumors of. St. Louis filing tampering charges against oh. the Golden Knights. I, don't I didn't hear about that. that. No. Yeah. That I've seen a few different uh, sources saying that there might be um, – char- uh, they might file a grievance with the NHL about uh, the Golden Knights talking to him early. Interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, what would that entail? They would what lose draft picks, things like that. It, it. I'm not sure. Honestly, I don't know what the punishment is. Interesting. Um, All I know is you. You said on last episode, Petrolangelo is probably going to go to Vegas. He ends up signing later that night, yeah. seven years for sixty-one point six million dollars. Um, I didn't hear anything though with with them getting tampered. Um, if that's the case, my guess is it's going to be loss of draft picks, kind of like what happened with Arizona. Um, since they lost, I think it was like six or seven picks with their big scandal. A few other signings, though, while you're trying to find that, we had uh, Corey Schneider, after getting bought out by the Devils, signed with the Islanders at a one-year league minimum deal. I think it's a good deal for Schneider. Just try and get back in the league, try and win a hockey game. Um, I don't know, because I'm pretty sure the Islanders still have two other goaltenders. They have Grice and Valarmoff under contract. So Corey Schneider might just be coming in as a third goaltender. But either way, good on him for sticking around. Um, Patrick Marlowe re-signed with the San Jose Sharks at a one. Yeah, he goes back to the Sharks, and he only has to play forty-five games to be the all-time leader in games played in National Hockey League history. Good for him. Seventeen, almost eighteen hundred games. No cup. Yeah, he so hasn't. Kind of yeah, he hasn't won a cup. And then, I don't think he's going to win one in San Jose either. But at least and then he his, gets his. And then his best friend decides, "I'm going to do what he did and try going to Toronto for a year." Yeah, and so, then said, "I want to win a Stanley Cup, so I picked the best team I could." Like, um, sorry, Leafs fans, but Stanley Cups and Toronto Maple Leafs don't go in the same sentence. <laughs> Yeah, so speaking of, Joe Thornton signed a one-year deal Don't with the Leafs. Um, <laughs> yeah, when he came out and said, I picked the best team to win a Stanley Cup, I, I, th- to me, that's I wouldn't have gone to Toronto. They have a great team, 
but I don't think they're going to win a cup next year. I think there's too many uh, question marks. Well, they need a goaltender. Yeah, I mean, that's among other things. Yeah, they need a lot of cap space too. But um, to get back to the tampering thing, uh, Puck Daddy Greg Wachinski said um, to further reporting by at. Um, Friedrich, HNIC, and JP Rutherford on rumors of Blues tampering charge against Vegas. They've been swirling for weeks. I reached out to Bill Daly on October 1st uh, about anything filed or if he had heard, and he said no. So it's just kind of speculation. Interesting. From, from some of those insider people. I mean, could it be true? Yes. Could it not be true? Yes. You know how the media is with that kind of stuff, especially in, you know, hockey media. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's not true. I I really – I mean, if it is, they're going to lose some draft picks most likely. Draft picks are fine. But yeah, which, way. I mean, if you're looking at Vegas' roster, I think, okay, if they lose a few draft picks, okay. Like, sure, it would suck, but they're built to win now. It'll be fine. So, yeah, like – there, I wouldn't be too worried about it. Um, back to there's two or three more signings that I wanted to pick out here, and it was the Rangers uh, signing one of their young goaltenders, Alexander Georgiev, as I believe is how you say it. They signed him to a two-year deal at $4.85 million. Good on him. It's going to be him. Uh, I believe he's kind of pegged as the 1A goaltender to replace Hendrick Lundqvist. He played a lot last year for that kind of role. Yeah. Brendan Gallagher re-signed with Montreal at six years for $39 million. Good on Gallagher. There was rumors that he might not re-sign. He still has a year left on his original contract. And it was was funny because it was like talks had stalled with Brendan Gallagher. And then the next day it's like, Oh, just kidding. We signed him for six years at $39 million. So I don't know what happened there. Obviously, we're not in the, the room negotiating. But nonetheless, Gallagher's staying in Montreal for the time being. He's got six years there. And then one uh, signing that I absolutely love being a Flames fan is the Flames finally signed Andrew Majapani to a two year deal worth $4.85 million. And all I'm going to say is if you are a Calgary Flames fan, you want him signed longer than two years. Um, he's kind of gone through a few contract battles with the Flames. I think this one, they just avoided our arbitration for like the third year in a row with this guy. Signed a two-year deal. And if he keeps improving the way he is and he plays the way that he has, I mean, there's going to be a big ticket after those two years. But I think that really wraps it up for big name signings that, I mean, I've seen there's been a bunch of guys coming off entry-level deals um, that just, you know, re-upped either for one year, two years, however long. Tyson Jost being one of them, signed a one-year contract. Uh, I'm guessing it's a bridge deal for the Avs just with the flat cap. They couldn't give him a big contract that he probably deserves. But nonetheless, he's still mm-hmm. got a contract. He's still playing. But with speaking that... Speaking of the Avs... Oh. Speaking of the Avs, 
Nathan McKinnon. I don't know if it was on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat today. Had a pair of, of blue. Quebec Nordique blue gloves yep. in his hockey bag. Yeah, I well, think it was on his Instagram This is story. the 20th anniversary season of the Colorado Avalanche being in Colorado and moving from Quebec. Do you think we might get to see a Quebec Nordique jersey night in Colorado? I really hope so because those are some of the sickest jerseys in the league. I love the I, – I don't know. Is it baby blue, powder blue? like Something like that. It's a I sick I don't know blue. the official like, name. It's just a pretty blue. And So, I – Joe Sackick was my favorite player, and – they were only in Quebec one year when I was little that I remember watching hockey. So when they moved to Colorado, I was like, okay, cool. I have a jersey that he signed back in the late 90s. I think I was in fourth grade when I got it. But um, it's the Avalanche sweater. Back when Starter was making the jerseys for the NHL. That's how long ago this was. Who was making them? Um, but it I, starter was that like before CCM? You remember starter? My, I remember yeah. CCM. Like so CCM at was one my point first. in the nineties. At one point, at one point in the nineties, at one point in the nineties, like each team was allowed to do like their own deal with a jersey manufacturer. So there was like Coho and CCM and Starter. And yeah, it was wild. Yeah, because I mean, my first jerseys I remember were CCM. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, it went, what, CCM to Reebok to uh, whatever it is now, Adidas. Yeah. I mean, yep. I which I, is I all the same company. Yeah. I, I never even heard well, of Starter back in the 90s made those like warm up suits. You don't know what a starter jacket is? No. I mean, oh my god. I am um, I'm dating I now I'm dating myself. I mean, I am I'm not old. Well, no, but... I was going to say if you, if you wanted to feel old, I could tell you that I don't ever remember the Dorne, the Dor- Nordiques even playing. Fair enough. I mean, I only know them <laughs> I right. I mean, 20 enough. years, so I I I, missed, enough, I got uh... their last 3 years, but <laughs> enough uh enough of dating myself again i'm not that old i'm only 34 but jesus so okay do you remember the fox tracks puck or that was probably before your time as well wait like the the glowing puck on espn no on fox oh i i just remember glowing puck on espn not a glow but like the chemtrail almost Okay, no, see, back in the, also in the 90s, Fox did a glowing puck for its TV broadcast. So some of, you, some of our old listeners around my age and older, obviously you guys will remember what I'm talking about. But okay, enough of that, enough of that little sidetrack. Um, well, I had mentioned early in the show, it is a rule change year for USA Hockey. Um, so the rule question that I got right and wrong, <laughs> um, which is bull crap, because I'm sorry, USA Hockey has the rule wrong. Um, basically, it plays in an attacking zone. 
the attacking team player gets a double minor. The defending team player gets a single minor. And by rule in USA Hockey, because you had those ma- the coincidentals, and both teams cause the stoppage, the stoppage, the faceoff stays inside the zone. So the team going shorthanded gets an offensive zone faceoff, which contradicts any other situation in the book where if you're the attacking team and you get a penalty, the puck comes outside the zone because of the change in on-ice strength. So that needs to be changed, and I will be submitting that. And honestly, I say we just make it super easy and fall in line with the NHL, well, the pro rule book, the junior rule book, the NCAA rule book, and the IAHF rule book, and say if you get a penalty, the puck goes into your defensive zone. Done. And, I mean, I understand USA Hockey's not about offense and it's about developing players and this and that, but let's just make it consistent with everything else and just do it. Yeah, I mean, a lot. I personally have no issue with just taking it out, whatever, one zone back or, or one dot back. Yeah, I mean, nor would I care if they came out and said, yeah, let's take it all the way back. Um, I I don't think anybody would care even as a player cuz half of them think it should be in the in their offensive zone anyway whenever they get a power exactly. play. So I I think this is just a perfect opportunity to to move the rule book a little more in line with everybody else. Now, truly what I want is a rewrite to make it more like the junior in the pro book, but I understand why the USA hockey book is dumbed down as much as it is. What would you want changed? Um, just the way it's set up, just like kind of the flow of the rule book. Like, okay. think like if you think about like if you have the junior book and the USA book next to each other, like the junior book or the pro books kind of flow a little better. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. The only rule I would want changed is the icing on the penalty kill not being allowed. Yeah. You know, um, I honestly, here's what I'm going to say with that. I think at Peewee and below, I'm okay with it. So U10, U12, keep it. Because I understand what it's for. Because we're trying to get, you know, we have automatic offside. We take away the icing. We're trying to get these kids to pick their heads up and try to make a play instead of just firing it down the ice or firing into the D zone. I get it. But once we get into checking categories, because right now U14, if you go shorthanded, you can't ice it. Correct. I think U14 and up, it needs to just be the way it is. Yeah, I mean, if we're being honest, that's exactly what I was going to say. I'm A-okay with it in Wee and Squirt, so what, 10 and 12 U. Um I think it should go in line with is if it's delayed offside or not. If you're playing a division where it's delayed offside, you should be allowed to ice it. Um, so Bantams and up, I think you should be allowed to ice it. I think yeah. as so weird as this sounds, I think it's a good skill to have. And icing. Yeah. Delayed offside and icing. Automatic offside, no icing. Perfect. And Done. because I just because like we get into that that gray area like if we go to a youth tournament and you work a U ten U or U twelve U fourteen U sixteen game all in a row, 
you're essentially dealing with three different sets of rules. Well, speaking of that, I had I had almost quite that similar this weekend as I did a 16 game on on whatever Saturday, and then right after we did a Bantam game. And the first probably three icings uh, were on a penalty kill, and both me and my partner originally just looked at each other like, yep, no ice, we're on a penalty kill. And thankfully, one of the th- each of the three times, one of us were like, oh, wait a second, we can't ice it, this is Bantam hockey. And we would blow it down, get the right call. At the end of the day, all it would do is eliminate confusion for us, which I think would make – our lives more easier and if you want yeah. to that's what usa hockey the rule book is written for to make yep. it as easy as possible another thing that i wouldn't mind adding would be for eight maybe for you know you you 16 you 18 hybrid but yeah like it'd be nice or at least maybe at the u18 level hybrid u16 no but i i think i think it's time for that i think we should also put it in in men's league because there are a lot of men's leagues out there that do hybrid anyway or they play blue line icing um but i i why not you know let's just do it i it's safe enough i think enough of our officials or most of our officials have seen it happen or work in pro hockey. So it's not like it's an alien thing anymore. When it was brand new, no way in heck would I have put that on some youth hockey officials. But, but now I I think it's time we put in hybrid. I think Um, for hybrid though, I mean, it might be a bit tough because obviously you're trying to cater for it to be consistent for as large of a group as possible. I I would love to have hybrid at the 16 and 18 AAA level, though. I think if you institute at those levels, yeah. the guys working those levels, 95% of us work a league with hybrid icing in it. So yeah. I don't think it would change anything for that, and I think it would only make the players in the game better at the AAA level. But, mm-hmm. I mean – at single well, A, double A. You know, it's one more thing to add to prepare him to go play junior hockey. Yeah. Because, and at this point, too, when you really think about it, and I hate to say this, but U16s and U18s is dead. You know? How like, so? There's just so much junior between the NA3 and the USPHL and the NAL. And then you got, like, the EHL, the Western States – Yes, and then you got all those other random junior leagues. Like, it's the talent level that we're seeing now playing U16, U18 isn't what it used to be. Um, Now, obviously, we have that U15, that goofy, like, Mm -hmm. U15 thing that USA Hockey did. Those kids are all really freaking good because, obviously, they're not junior age yet. Yeah, and then all of and that like that U fifteen segment is set up for those kids to get looked at by the NAL and the USHL and the other junior leagues that are out there. Yeah. So, but then when you when we get into our U sixteens and U eighteens, I mean our U eighteen AA here we only have seven U eighteen AA teams in the entire state of Florida. Wow. Seven. 
I mean, thinking like, about it, Texas not, isn't much like that's really we're not that far behind. I mean, we are eight teams. We don't have an A division. We only have double A, and. I think there's well. If you're playing single A at 18 or 16 and 18, you should just be playing high school. Yeah, I agree. Um, like double A, triple A. Yeah, for anybody that doesn't understand the what USA Hockey's doing with the 15U division, is they've split up. I guess it would be first year bantams and second year bantams. So 14 and 15. No, year first year midgets. First it's year. Fifteen's first year midgets. Okay. Yeah. So they Which took it's the, not even called midget anymore. Yeah. So. so they took away the first year midgets uh, at 15, and they said, hey, we're going to have all you guys play against each other. In theory, that is the best of the best kids at the AAA level because none yep. of them have gone off to play junior hockey yet because they're not eligible. I've yep. done a few of those games, and holy smokes, can they fly. Like, those kids yep. are amazing. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh. This is where the USHL gets their talent from. This is where the Null gets it from. I think it's yeah. great what they did, though. I mean, I have no issue. Oh yeah, with well, it was gene. It was it was kind of like what Canada has with the Bantam draft. Yeah, that's essentially what you know. That's what they did with it, and it's perfect. So you know, we get all those kids going off and doing that, but at the same time, you know, you do have some late bloomers. You're six, mm-hmm. you know. So between that 16 and 18 range, but I, you know, I think hybrid icing, maybe a couple more, you know, maybe uh, throw that minor in for, you know, your maybe a, like an open ice check from behind minor in the U16, U18 level. And, you know, uh, maybe a minor charge or a minor board, like give that extra option there because, you know, sitting a kid for 12 minutes in a U18 game, on an open ice check from behind, like that sucks. Because if that kid was playing like here, if he was playing on a USBHL team, he's just going to the box for a minor for an open ice check from behind. Yeah, I think a lot if of the times like, though, you'll see and, it as a rough call. Yeah, I mean that's what you know the creative guys are going to do. Like we're not going to do that. Like I'll, I tell guys all the time, like you know you should be getting a two and ten for that, but I'm just going to give you a minor rough. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, I mean, is it the right, is it the USA hockey way? No, but you know, these kids are good hockey players. I don't want them to sit in the box for 10 minutes, you know, 12 minutes, unless it's absolutely deserved. Like, obviously if it's into the boards or anything like that or whatever, yes, two and 10 Bye. I have no, um, no sympathy for guys that make bad hits. I just, I don't, but no, you know, we, we do get into that artist versus scientist thing a little bit where you know you have the tools in the toolbox to be able to work around it but I, I don't know and i just think a lot of the reason why it came in was to handcuff the referees and just um because you know so many refs wouldn't give those two and tens or fiving games everyone was kind of afraid to make that big call but i don't really see that anymore because it's you know status quo it's hey it's two and ten see it no matter what so now that I think everyone's used to it being that 210 only option, um, you know, that's, that's where we're at. So with that, let's get into our guest. He just joined the Zoom. Today's guest is Tyler Loftus. He's an ODP grad, works the American League, ECHL, 
does a lot of stuff for the Atlantic District. So I'm going to put, pull him into the Zoom call right now. And let's get him joined. Tyler, what is up, buddy? Hi, guys. How are you? Hey, six sweaters on the wall. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> there you go. They're airing out, collecting a lot of dust. Right? I think, I think all of our stuff is, well, our pro stuff anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we've been recording, where, uh, we, and you just jumped in, so we're just going to jump right on into it. We were actually just talking about uh, ideas for USA Hockey rule changes, which we'll, uh, we'll uh -huh. touch on with you here in a bit. But uh, so everybody, this is Tyler Loftus. Like I said, he's a, he works American League, ECHL, D1, where he's uh, trying to make the transition from being a linesman to a referee. And uh, so with that, Tyler, let's, uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name's Tyler Loftus. I'm from <laughs> uh, beautiful Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a nice uh, 57 degrees here right now. Lucky it's 80 uh, and raining here. Yeah, it's pouring outside right now. Uh, been officiating for, I think this will be my 14th season. Um, came up through the ranks of USA Hockey. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a lot of junior hockey out by me and was able to develop as an official out in the East before moving to the Midwest for USA Hockey. And yeah. So what got you into officiating? Like why, what, uh, what made you want to put the stripes on? Well, I mean, I think it pretty much goes for everybody when they say they're they're just doing it for extra money when they first start. Yep. That's pretty fair to say. Um, so yeah, I started. We just, all, I think, just, just looking to do extra, get some extra money, and then uh, kind of fell in love with it once I stopped playing and kept going with it and met yeah, met some that, I mean, really pretty cool much people. the normal story for for everybody it's you know hang out at the rink a lot i'm always here might as well might, might as well, well make some money games, get some ice time and make some money absolutely so with that so like when when you really fell in love with it like did you have like a particular maybe like a mentor or somebody that you looked up to or like that really was like the reason why you're like, wow, this is awesome. I, th I think this is something I could do. Um, I wouldn't really say mentor. I would, I guess, I, I guess, yeah, kind of mentor. Uh, Ian Walsh with the, uh, he's an NHL official, um, an NHL referee. He ran our district camp for many, many years. Uh, he kind of pushed me a lot. Peter Schlittenhart really pushed me a lot. So shout out to Pete. Uh, Schlitty, I love that guy. Um, so those guys, Judd Ritter, uh, a lot of the, the East guys pushed uh, Bill Maurer. He did a lot of behind the scenes stuff for the Atlantic District. Um, those guys were all big, big parts of my officiating career. And I probably wouldn't be where I am today without them. When... Uh... Obviously, after you get going, you did, you know, your regional camp and all that kind of stuff with USA Hockey and then got in the ODP. Like, where were, were you at home your first year? You were in an apartment. So being from from out out east is kind of kind of nice when we had the Met League and the AJ out here. So I, I kind of got started with the 
the yep. MJHL Metropolitan Junior Hockey League and the Atlantic Junior Hockey League out here when Chris Allman was running it. And uh, from there, I got into the ACHA stuff. And then from that point, we started to get North American League teams like Johnstown out east. And then uh, I was in a position where they needed somebody to move into an apartment last minute. And I kind of was that, that guy that said, yeah, I'll do it. So I ended up moving out to the Midwest in Minnesota for that. Perfect. And then was that was what, Minnesota Junior Hockey League, North American League? Uh, well, it was actually just North American League and NA3 at that point. Okay. Uh, we weren't really doing – I don't even know if the Minnesota Junior Hockey League was still around when that was that was going on. I know when I was living out east, they were still around. So, I feel like that kind of ended up turning into what is now the NA3. Like some right. Teams. Yeah, most of those teams are the NA3 now. So Yeah. You were lining – Right? Did, yeah. did you referee yeah. at all, or were you just line? Oh, you know, I was pretty team? much, pretty much just straight up linesman from the Met League to the AJ to uh, the North American League to the USHL to the SP to NCAA, and then I moved back home, and that's where I kind of transitioned into a referee. Okay, and how's that been going for you so far? Pretty, pretty good. Uh, uh, didn't expect it to go as good as it has been, but I, I enjoy it. I get yelled at quite a bit more being a referee than a linesman, which is part of the job, but you just have, a, have to have a good relationship with the coaches. You got to know who you're dealing with. Makes it fun when you're getting yelled at. Oh, absolutely. And then you've uh, obviously you've come down here, a couple of uh, tournaments down here in Florida, hanging out with us. Yeah. It's been awesome to have you down here. Was was lucky enough you guys uh, needed some help and flights were pretty cheap. So came down, hung out with the guys and uh, made some more memories. Got to golf a little bit. and There you go. Nothing better than going to the rink and going to play golf. That's right. Uh, hey, Tyler. Um, I guess uh, I just want to know a little bit about oh, there you uh, your path, I guess, just from like ODP into professional hockey, like how'd that all work out? Like, so from going from the ODP to professional hockey? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I got my opportunity, my first opportunity with uh, professional hockey when I was living in Texas for the North American league, we still had Louisiana playing Mississippi was still playing so I got to break into professional hockey living down there. And uh, the SP was a great, great stepping stone for pro hockey. Uh, you learn a lot, obviously, in that league. Guys are fighting for a position with the Coast League team. Uh, guys right out of college. So it's really – that gave you the opportunity to go from dealing with, I'm going to say, teenagers to dealing with men. And that transition just is a big eye opener and you learn a lot within a, within a period of, oh, okay, guys, I'm not dealing with kids anymore. I'm dealing with professionals and they're here to do a job and they're getting paid to do it. So that's, uh, that's kind of how I transitioned into professional hockey. Uh, what would you say is the biggest difference, I guess, between dealing with kids and then dealing with like, actual professional hockey players uh the respect level 
the respect level is a little bit higher. Those guys at the professional level know what you're doing. You're there to do a job. They're there to do a job. And they, they realize that you're not there to get in the way or try to get in the way. Whereas in a junior hockey game, they might not have the hockey IQ yet to say if I'm on the wall and if I'm going to jump up on the bench to give them underneath my feet, they're still going to put it high. And then they say, oh, well, why are you in the way? And you, there's nothing you could really do about it. But it's just that respect level that maybe the, the teenagers aren't really sure what your job is to do. They don't realize that that's your full-time job at the time. Uh, they think you're just some schmuck off the street coming in and lacing them up for a 7.30 puck drop and then going home and getting up for your 8 to 5 job the next day. Uh, so you're now making the transition to be a referee. What, like, first off, why? Uh, so, yeah, I moved home, and I we have a lot of Division three hockey out east, um, and I have a lot of it. I'm in a very good area to – do division one, division three and pro hockey. So when I moved home, they started using me as a referee for division three games and the coaches liked how I uh, called the game. The supervisors liked how I called the game. And then uh, I went to take one of my, one of the younger officials from this area up to New York over the summer a few years ago to get looked at by the division three assigner and the there was a, a signer there that's assigned division one and he talked to me after the game and asked me if i'd have any interest in refing division one men's me at the time thinking he meant to line coming to find out he wanted me as a referee so that's kind of where I'm at with the refereeing. Um, just a lot of guys always told me I should have originally been a referee. Yeah, a lot of guys told me I should have originally been a referee, so hoping to try to well, make them the, happy. So The nice thing for you there is you're still young enough to really make that transition and, and make it stick. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, if I see the right people and have the right people in front of me, then yeah. And then we got um, – Something else I wanted to ask you about, and I actually I talked to Gatesy the other day. He because uh, I'm going to have him on at some point. But we got this uh, scouting the lesser refs thing, which obviously you know he wants to uh, he wants to come on. Gatesy, we are going to have you on here soon. But Tyler, if you want to give some of these people uh, that listen who might not know what what this is all about like maybe just a little a little preview of what we're going to get out of mr gates when i get so so i don't want to step on on stlr headquarters uh (laughs) toes here but uh i did receive this in the mail a couple couple days ago it was a little late um more more stlr crests so there you go we got from stlr headquarters sent up to stlr pa division (laughs) Um, but STLR just started as a way for us to make fun of each other and have a good laugh. And and it's just an all around good time. Obviously people know what scouting the refs is. So this is scouting the lesser refs and we 
just have a good time with it. It's all, all in good fun. And yeah, for sure. And it, it's, you know, like, and like I said, we're going to have Gatesy on anyway. So I, I just figured I'd, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> put it out there for follow, everybody. Go follow to... them on Twitter and Instagram. STLR is, uh, you get a good chuckle out of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, I know, uh, the, the group's been, uh, been pretty fun there. So let's, uh, I guess, talk about some of the USA hockey stuff since, you know, what um, I know you were telling me you're pretty involved with the, the Atlantic district yeah. as far as like development, all that kind of stuff goes. Like, let's talk about your role there and like what you're doing to, you know, even as young as you are, you're still one of the senior guys up there and work. So like what, you know, what are you doing to give our main focus with the Atlantic District uh, is to develop officials. Uh, we don't take any more. So before you could apply whenever you wanted uh, to our Atlantic District camp. Now we do a workshop in January. Uh, and it's really nice that we have so many professional teams around us. We do that in Lehigh Valley with the uh, Flyers American League team, the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Uh, and it, they just, they put on a, an eight, a top of the line show for the kids. We get in the building, we do a full day of on ice stuff, uh, classroom stuff, uh, just really try to get them out of their comfort level. And then from okay. there on, we, so this is like a, a like pre so thing a pre to select, camp to, to select camp. for district camp. Then we okay. bring we invite guys that we want for district camp to like a, a two day festival where from there we pick our 12 people we take to Atlantic district camp. Okay. Uh, usually 10, 10 male, 10 female or 10 male, two female. Uh, and then from there we send them off to futures camp uh, and see where they go with USA hockey. Cause obviously from then the district camp, you're going to be able to get people on your radar for now, what futures and high right. performance in those camps. Right. And then I believe you instructed USA hockey level camps too, correct? Yep. I've instructed uh, the past two years now at Kent state for future central futures camps. Okay. And so not many or maybe some of our listeners don't really know what the camp system is for USA hockey. So maybe let's talk about that a little bit. And then like what your role is in an instructor at, you know, when you do high performance. So when you come in to do futures camp, it's pretty grass grassroots officiating. Uh, we break down video sessions. Uh, day one, we'll come in, we'll meet in the classroom uh, introduce everybody. We'll go have a light skate, uh, get everybody's legs moving, and then they'll officiate games throughout the week. Uh, we have three instructors plus um, camp director plus uh, BJ Ringrose usually stops by for a couple days. Uh, gets really gets uh, gets the kids some great information, and I say kids, but it's half sometimes they're as old as me and and i'm just there to and for many of them it's it's their first time being exposed to the bigger picture right of usa so, hockey right so from from these future camps we could have the north american leagues keith caval at them we could have scott zelkin we could have 
anybody come and watch and say, oh, this, this guy's going to be pretty good. Let's keep an eye on him. Uh, they could offer them a, a spot in the North American League or USHL right out of one of those camps. So yeah. it really gives uh, people a really good opportunity to see where they could go with, with hockey. Well, it's, right. and it's the chance to really get on the radar. Right. So some, some areas of the country we might not be able to get to to go watch these younger officials skate throughout the year. So it's, it's a nice opportunity for them to come and work some games and get the experience. Some of them might not have ever worked a four-man or a three-man before, so it's getting them out of their comfort zone again. Mm-hmm. And then from there, obviously, when somebody, you know, they go to Futures, let's say they, you know, they have a good camp, maybe a year or two later, they're looking at, you know, high performance, which is what you've instructed. So what's the, what's the point of high performance? Like once you've, you know, done your, your futures, gone back home, and then now you're coming back for high performance. So high performance is a little bit more of the next step. Uh, They're going to push you a lot more out of high performance camp and expect a lot more out of you, I guess would the, the right term would be. And just to see also it, it gives you that opportunity to work the higher level games because I believe high performance goes with the 16 year olds okay. at their camps. So you'll be officiating the 16, pretty much the top 16 year olds in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, everybody's at, everybody's at high performance camp. So yeah. So it's kind of high performance camp and then maybe I'll move into an apartment for USA hockey right after yeah. that. Which makes sense. Cause obviously, you know, we're talking best, the best younger officials that we, you know, that we have right. in the officiating program, you know, across the board. And then they're getting hired by either Z or Cavs or whatever to go off and, and do the ODP thing like we did. Sure. And, you know, cause like for us in the roles that we're in, you know, you with the Atlantic district and instructing those camps, like our goal now is to get guys to where we are. Right. You know, and, you know, get them, get them through the system, which, you know, we've mentioned quite a few times on the podcast with, with other people. Um, so like for you, what, what do you, what's the most rewarding thing for you about being a part of the process as far like as far as guiding you know the next group of officials to come through i mean it's it's really cool for me when i'm instructing and then maybe a year later or two years later i step on the ice and and i'm on the ice with somebody that i instructed or i get a phone call or a text message saying hey thanks for everything uh got hired Cavs hired me for the season mm-hmm. uh, if you have any advice the rest of the way let me know and my phone's always on so if they want to reach out they're more than welcome to so which definitely makes sense because obviously it's it's a brotherhood and this is a family absolutely you know like we just want to see nothing but the best for everybody that we you know that we that we work with especially moving up and all that right um i know and and so the other day you sent me a picture you were working in any game I did. I uh, dusted the old NA sweater off, um, and I worked uh, worked a game on on Friday night for the North American League in awesome. New Jersey. So, kind of wish that the North American League was still right here in my backyard in Scranton. But 
wasn't up to me. So yeah, whatever. You still got to go and I'm sure you got to work with a couple of young kids. That must've been fun. Yeah. Yeah, I did. A couple of good guys that are coming up and trying to work their way up through the, through the ODP and, and they did a good job. So we had fun. It was uh, first, first game in eight months that I was able to, uh, able to actually skate and, and not saying that the youth games weren't, but yeah, just that level, that <laughs> yeah, level. it's obvious, you yeah. know, it's different. Obviously. Right. Going forward, obviously, you know, we just saw the announcement from the coast and then yeah. we don't know what's going on with the American league. And do you, do you have any maybe insider information on anything or I, I wish, anything? I wish I did. Um, if, if you guys hear of anything, please let me know because I'm at the edge of my seat <laughs> waiting for the season to start. But uh, well, yeah, know, we, have no, we, all? we don't really have a word yet. So hopefully, Hopefully soon we find out. Yeah, I mean, obviously we uh, we before you came on with us, we were talking about you know the ECHL's return to play plan with the seventy two sixty two games. Yeah. We haven't heard anything from the American League, and then obviously NCAA. It, you know, it just knows. all goes by division for NCAA. I saw yeah. NCHC is is planning their little little pod they're calling it. In, okay. Uh, in uh, Omaha, they're going to do it, and then. Uh, out here, out east, we just had the the NASCAC, which is the New England schools. They canceled their season. Now that's D3, right? That's D3. And then D3 yeah. for the, the SUNYAC, so all the New York schools, the state universities of New York. Uh-huh, they all canceled they, as well. They just announced today that they, uh, they're canceling all, all winter sports. That so, sucks. So we got one more. We got one more conference out here called the UCHC. And... <laughs> We'll see if they decide to play or not. I it's not looking good that the SUNYAC canceled. So yeah, what a waiting game. Yep, it's uh, it's definitely hurry up and wait there. Do you have any like good stories that uh, like just just something off your head that that's um, shareable? Obviously, the names and locations will be changed for the protection of. <laughs> um, I have one story from it's it's a long time ago, and I I have a very, very good rapport with this head coach and he's coached all over the country. He coached in the OHL. He coached in the Q. Uh, his son is one of the, one of the best players in the country right now for college hockey. And he actually got drafted a few years ago, but uh, awesome. I'll, I'll leave names out, but I was actually refing a game in a three man and he was upset at a call and, he had a couple fake teeth and he was yelling one day and he, I was standing right next to the bench and one of his teeth came flying out and onto the ice and he stopped yelling and I bent over and now it wouldn't work because it wouldn't be COVID sanitary, but I bent over, I picked up his tooth and, and he goes, Tyler, could I have that back? I said, you'll get it back at the end of the game. And I put it in my pocket and I skated away. And the next shift I went over and I gave it back to him and he just had a good chuckle out of it. So that's it's, awesome. It, it, it just a funny story and he, he appreciated it. I'm sure it could have went South if, uh, if he didn't get a kick out of it, but yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's, fun. that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. But, um, yeah. and then I guess if, if you could give advice to any up and coming young official, what would, what would you want to say to that young guy that's, 
either just starting out or starting their journey into the ODP or like what, what kind of advice do you have there? And number one, I would say play the game as long as you can. Uh, don't give up on it too early. Even if you're terrible, like I was play the game. It's you'll miss it one day. Uh, and number two, whatever you do, no matter how much you want to move out and go to the Midwest and join the ODP, finish school. Um, that's, that's pretty much it. Work hard, stay humble. Uh, don't, don't look into your schedule. That's the biggest piece of advice I could give because you know, and I'm sure you guys know, as soon as that schedule comes out, everybody's texting each other. Hey, what game are you got? Where are you going this weekend? Well, shit. Why am I, why am I not on that game? Like I should have this game. Nah, take it with the, take it with a grain of rice and just do your schedule, fly under the radar. You'll be set. Yep. And you know, that's, that's funny that you mentioned that because that's something that we as officials get, you know, we get in our own heads about stuff like that and right. it can definitely snowball. So, you know, that advice, just, Hey, do your schedule. Don't worry about, you know, what it is. Cause I mean, the joke back when I started in the ODP was it was, they put on a blindfold, picked a name out of a hat and then started throwing darts. And that's yeah. where you were going. And that very that might be what they do. That might not be what they do. There could be a crazy plan behind it, but from the yep. looks of a lot of things, it doesn't look like there there is. Um, nope. But control the things you can control. The uncontrollable, don't worry about. Exactly. Well, Tyler, we appreciate having you on. I think this was uh, this was a good time. We'll yep. definitely have you on again in the future. Um, any Brandon, any, anything else for, uh, for Tyler? Yeah. Work in the American league. What was like, I guess your, oh. First, oh shit moment of like, I'm working the American league. I'm one step below the national league. Like, was it like a player at a face off or like, what was that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I guess my first real, like, I guess, oh shit moment was when, the, the first fight that I had first fight, you got two guys in there, six, three, six, four going at each other, just men. Like I'm not the biggest guy in the world. So me trying to, to, uh, break some guys up, you got to put everything you got into it. And I just tried to grab a guy and pray for dear life. There was a, there was a situation in a ECHL game where, I was just along for the ride where I just grabbed him and I hoped and prayed that he would just make eye contact with me and, and that would be it. But uh, other than that, it, they, they know what they're doing. So if you're on the wall and like I said before, if you jump up on the wall, that puck's going under your feet. If you give them the wall and you tell them they have the wall, they're taking the wall. If you don't and you're on the wall, they're still going to try to take the wall because they know you shouldn't be there and you'll hear about it. So they know, they know more than you think they know. That's, that's the damn truth. Yep. <laughs> Especially yep. with those guys. And it, may, it definitely makes it a lot easier when they're look when they're watching where you're at. And right. one less thing we have to worry about as officials. Right. So those were, those are my two biggest things about, about pro hockey. And then, I guess just positioning is key too. 
So don't be flat-footed because you never know what's going to happen. And don't jump it between a couple uh, former NHLers that are looking to square off and then get punched in the face. That's the only other thing. <laughs> punched yeah, that, you. That probably uh, wouldn't be well. It was uh, Brandon Baddock on the Binghamton Devils. Uh, he, he, he leaned back and just tried to – went for a no-look no punch and I was right in the way. So. <laughs> Your face was in the, in the way of his fist. Yeah, exactly. So Brutal. Fell. When, those guys know they, when those guys know that they weren't supposed to do something, they know and they beg and plead and it, it's nothing. I just shook it off and said, hey, Brandon, don't worry. We probably shouldn't have jumped in, so – yeah, I'm pretty sure I showed you that video, Ross. Right? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like it had, it did happen to me once. Uh, I've, I, Brandon, Brandon Blair in the SP actually. I yeah. think he, he, I know for sure once. I think he might have actually gotten me twice, if I remember right. Yeah. I think the first time he was like, "Oh my god, oh shit, I didn't mean to do that!" Like freaking out, thinking he was gonna yeah. get suspended. I'm like, "Dude, you're fine." Anthony Pizan on the in the SP when he was playing for Louisiana there last year got mm-hmm. me in the back of the head because I had to jump on somebody because he was just a massive massive human being. So all right, well, uh, Brendan, I think we should uh, we'll wrap this up and wrap up the episode, huh? Yeah, I uh, appreciate you coming on, Tyler. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, guys. Yeah, dude, it was fun talking to you. Looking forward to next trip down or. Heck, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll come up and see you at some point soon. Yeah, there we go. There. You guys are always welcome. Sounds good, dude. I think with that, we'll uh, we'll just go ahead and end the episode here on a high note with Tyler. For uh, Brendan, any last words for this episode? Yeah, just a massive shout out to our sponsor at Acme Whistles. Uh, we are selling our customized ones. They're sick. They're the matte black ones. Go and buy those. Follow us on all our social medias, as always, at Go Team Stripes. And then uh, the Masterclass by Don Koharski. If you want to learn anything about officiating, he's the guy to learn it from, I think. So, yeah, I mean, the, good, the Team Stripes Academy. That's what you want to yep. go check out. So, and uh, I guess with that, for Brendan and Tyler, I'm Ross. Thanks for listening to Team Stripes podcast, and we'll catch everybody next time. See you next week, guys.